This is Orson Welles on the Air, featuring the old-time radio performances of the legendary Orson Welles. Welcome back to Orson Welles on the Air. We'll hear from the Radio Hall of Fame this time, a series that debuted over the Blue Network in December of 1943. It aired for 125 episodes until April of 1946. This episode features Orson Welles, of course. It aired October 8, 1944. radio manufacturer, makers today of radar and electronic equipment to help win the war, makers tomorrow of products for good living in a world at peace. Yes, this is your Radio Hall of Fame, where in the belief that superlative performance in the field of entertainment deserves high honor, the Philco Corporation brings you each week the stars made great by your recognition of their achievements. The public's choice by the editors of that authority on audience opinion, Variety. And now, as to the man who will conduct the fame, in spite of contrary, your guest master fathered by a stroke of lightning from the forehead of Jupiter. But we feel he's worthy of your Radio Hall of Fame, not because of any synthetic magnificence, but because still most versatile person in show business, a brilliant performer, producer, and director, Orson Thank you, and good evening. As the doors of the Radio Hall of Fame swing open, who do we find waiting inside the vestibule but the first musical comedy actress of the year, the sumptuously beautiful Mary Martin? And whether who else but one of the very brightest funny men of our generation, Milton Burl, who else and no less? Also, Burl Ives, who is absolutely the best singer of folk ballads anybody anywhere can remember. And finally, your permanent musical director, yes, he's here too, Paul Whiteman. Massa Whiteman, like Old Man River, keeps on rolling along. He'll probably still be known as the Dean of Popular American Music when little Margaret O'Brien is playing Lionel Barrymore's mother. Small wonder, then, you've unrolled the welcome mat on the doorstep of your Radio Hall of Fame for Paul Whiteman. Thanks for them kind words, Orson. Oh, Pops, I heard you and Ted Husing reminiscing about old times together on last week's program. Yeah, I know, but this week it's going to be all different. Oh, it is? Sure, we're going to... What are you going to do? Well, we're going to have a kind of clam You know, for all summer, we've been uh, all doing a little thingamabob called Now and Then. I thought maybe we'd like to... Oh, yes, yes. Well, uh, now well, I'm in the right place in the script. <laughs> then I wasn't. First, we take a tune that made the Bobby Sox Brigade of 15 or 20 years ago go gaga, and we played it the way it was played then. And afterwards, we do a modern arrangement of the same old melody. Well, after being on two shows with Milton Burl in the same week, I'm ready for anything. Uh, what are you serving? Do what I could do, Remember? It was written when the wah-wah mutes were first used in jazz oh, bands. Yeah, sure. First the way it was played, and uh, so you can kick it off that way, boys. Kick it off.
How did you like it? Uh, that's about all I can take of that, Pops. How's about uh, cutting out the nostalgia and uh, giving us the straight, uncut 1944 version? Uh, are you by any chance a Sinatra fan? Don't answer that. All right, boys, you all ready? Uh, Joe, you may take it. by Philco and its dealers with a sense of obligation to the entire radio audience of the United States and Canada. For among those listeners, the owners of 17 million Philco radios are in the vast majority. And it's a source of satisfaction and pride to Philco that more people are listening to this program and to all programs over a Philco than any other make of radio. This sense of obligation carries with it a promise for the future. For leadership in itself is a responsibility. And as you look forward to the day when the signal is given for peacetime production, it is natural for you to look to Philco, the leader, for the newest developments of radio and electronic research. That day is coming. Those Philco laboratories, which year after year led the way in radio progress and made Philco America's favorite radio, will bring you new and greater joys from radio and recorded music after victory. <laughs> If you were asked who were the most famous mothers of modern times, many of you would probably answer Whistler's mother and Milton Burroughs. Thanks to Milton, Mrs. Burroughs is the recipient of such wholesale celebration that I wonder if the lucky lady herself shouldn't be installed tonight on your Radio Hall of Fame instead of her gifted and irrepressible son. But he's the one who's here, and there are good and sufficient reasons for his presence. Anyway, you have my word for it that where Milton comes, his mother isn't far away. Indeed, why should she be? Mrs. Burroughs was the first to discover one of America's richest sources of entertainment. Millions have made that discovery only after she did, and I don't know why she shouldn't come around and gloat. Ladies and gentlemen, her son and my friend, America's oldest young comedian, Milton Berle. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Orson Welles, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Before, before I go any further, I have some news for you. For the last year, Dick Tracy has been secretly married to Gravel Gertie. Yesterday at 3.30 p.m., Dick Tracy and Gravel Gertie became the proud parents of a seven-pound pebble. 
And there's one production Wells had nothing to do with. But uh, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor to be chosen, ladies and gentlemen, to appear on the Hall of Fame show. Of course, I have my own program. It's called Let Yourself Go. And every week, I'm afraid the sponsor will say the same thing to me. <laughs> but but I just I just came in from Chicago by train. I would have taken the plane, but LaGuardia Airport is closed on Sunday. That's when the mayor sweeps the runway. <laughs> when the mayor sweeps the runway. <laughs> Mayor sweeps the runway. <laughs> what are you, spies for Bob Hope? <laughs> I, I did my last broadcast in Chicago, they told me. I am... Uh, uh, which joke are you working on, Don? <laughs> I am very, I'm very, very popular in Chicago. They have a Milton Berle club there. Every time I play there, they use it on me. <laughs> Coming from Chicago. Boy, are those trains crowded. I had to squeeze past 18 beautiful girls just to get to the water cooler. By the time I got there, I needed something cool. <laughs> There'll be a slight pause for joke identification. It, it was a new... Uh, Wells is sitting over there with all his friends, you know? It, he's all alone at the piano. It's the... Uh, it's the new... Uh, I come in from Chicago. It's the new type of train. No whistle. Whenever the train came to a crossing, the engineer put his hand on his hip and went, Woo! Woo! I had a lovely compartment on the train, but the men kept tripping over me every time they come in to shave. <laughs> Betty Grable, she was on the train. You know Betty Grable, Ovaltine's greatest enemy. <laughs> Think that's bad? You should have seen the ones we cut out. But, uh... <laughs> but I... No kidding. I want A lot of soldiers, a lot of soldiers were having lunch when Betty Grable walked in. It's the first time in railroad history that a diner got up more steam than the engine. <laughs> and when I got to New York, I got into a taxi cab, and this, I must tell you, there was a five-piece orchestra in the cab. So I said to the driver, I said, what's the idea? He said, where are you going to get a radio these days? <laughs> I was so confused, I didn't know what I was doing. I gave him a tip. <laughs> but, gee, I hope it wins. I went to... I went to... I went right to the Rodeo at Madison Square Garden, and all the celebrities were there in Wild West costumes. W.C. Fields, he came in dressed as an Indian, three feathers and a white horse. <laughs> I, uh... Thank you. Oh, now we're gone. Now we're gone. I, uh... I'm sharp as a rowboat. I must have looked... I must have looked like a real cowboy at the Rodeo because everyone pointed at me and said, Look, jerk along Cassidy. <laughs> Frank Sinatra, he couldn't be at the Rodeo. He was at the White House down in Washington, and a very embarrassing thing happened to Sinatra while he was there. The president's dog, Fowler, uh, dragged Frankie out in the backyard and buried him in the sand. <laughs> but it was really, it was really, it was really an exciting Rodeo. In the first event, <laughs> I don't know if you're getting them later or laughing at them longer. I don't know. In the last event at the Rodeo, uh, I mean, in the first event, Roy Rogers was supposed to grab a wild steer by the horns and throw him. The gates opened and a cow walked out. The cow looked up at Roy and said, Don't mind me, I'm releasing a bull for active duty. Thank you. That was wonderful, Milton. That was swell. That was grand, grand, grand. Thank you're you very really, much. really a great comedian. What'd you say? I said that was wonderful. You're a great comedian. What's the matter with you, Orson? I mean, don't you know that to make a comedian funny, you, you have to insult him? You've you got to make the audience feel sorry for him. You mean even more than they do now? <laughs> Orson, look, you, uh... Don't encourage him, please. Orson, you, uh... 
you don't get the idea. Why is Jack Benny funny? Why? Every week, Rochester tells the listeners how broken down Jack is, how cheap he is, how much of a louse he is. But, Milton, everybody knows that about you already. <laughs> Mr. Wells, please, I'm trying to explain the basis of comedy. This is no time for laughs. I didn't get him. I'm sorry, I thought one of us should. <laughs> you lost that up. Well, Austin, to, uh... <laughs> he wouldn't oh. have been any good straight, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you ought to know, but, uh, Austin... To get, this is only an hour show, you know. We've got to get out of here. Orson, to get on with the explanation about the different forms of comedy, ah, you yes. see, the chief form of comedy is the insult. You know, first we have to pick out someone to insult. Uh, let me see. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, if it isn't Paul Whiteman. Boy, we'll start on him. Hello, Hello Paul. Hello. Hello. Orson, uh, Orson, I'll show you what I mean by the insult type of comedy. Just listen, my Jack. Hello, Paul. I see you're as fat as ever. Yes, Milton, but I'm only fat below the neck. <laughs> Is that what you mean, Milton? I uh, haven't started yet. <laughs> Paul, you're certainly fat. I guess I am a little. A little. The stalk that bought you should have gotten time and a half. <laughs> should have got. <laughs> you see? See? So, and so. Milton, the stork that brought you should have got time. <laughs> working out very well, is it? Well, you can't insult a musician anyway. <laughs> He's a fat one, isn't he? And uh, I'll, I'll explain another type of comedy to you, Austin. It's called The Story with the Surprise Ending. I see. How does it go? Well, I'll give you an example. A guy came up to me uh, the other day and said, Mister, I haven't had a bite in days. So you bit him. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> Book as I've got... <laughs> You guys aren't ganging up on me, are you? Perish, perish the thought. I perish. I don't know. I'm right in the middle. I'm getting to feel more like John Hall every minute. Go ahead. Milton, I'm I'm seriously interested in the various types of comedy. Well, I'll tell you. Well, there is another kind, Mr. Wellis. It's called... That's a cheap way to get a laugh. (laughs) Mr. Burley. (laughs) We could keep you screaming like this for hours. It's, um... There's another way of getting laughed. It's called the story with the trick punch. The trick punch. That sounds novel. How does it go? Well, like this. One fella says to another fella, I can't understand the story that men are crazy about sweater girls. And the other fella says... Well? Thought you were going to beat me to the gag again. <laughs> oh, Milton, you misjudged. I'm sorry. I'll one fella says to another fella, I can't understand the story that men are crazy about sweater girls. And the other fella says... That's one yarn I'd like to unravel. <laughs> <laughs> then the... Then there's another type of comedy. It's called the savage, sadistic, physical type of humor. It's when one fellow pushes another fellow right on his face and then steps all over him. Give me an example. I'd rather not. I just had my suit cleaned. <laughs> Orson, I would rather be an actor than stop me from being an old coward's latest... Oh, no. <laughs> Watch an old fellow. You and I together, dramas. Entitled, The Butler Hits the Jackpot. The butler Hits the Jackpot. That's a good idea. I'll play Jack. Okay, I'll play the... Pu- now, wait a minute. Look, I... I'll play the part of the lord and master of an old English family, and you, Orson, you are my faithful butler. Pops, a little Noel Coward music, please. (laughs) Who made that arrangement, Flash Gordon? (laughs) A little Noel Coward, slow, you know, not too jazzy. Jeeves. I say, Jeeves, Jeeves. Yes, Master. What is it, Master? I'm sort of a... Fat Arthur Treacher, don't you? What is it, Master? What can I do for you, Master? Stop licking my hand and help me on with my clothes. Yes, Master. It's no use, sir. You'll simply have to get a larger girdle. 
That's stretching things too far. But I, uh, have I got any appointments today, Jeeves? Yes, this afternoon you have to see your fiancé, Lady June Bolingbroke. Oh, yes, June Bolingbroke. Oh, no. bother, what a bother. Kissing and necking, and I'd rather play a false game of cricket any day. You mean that? No, I'm just trying to get in the English mood, that's what I'm <laughs> I know I shouldn't say this, Master, but you behaved badly at the tea last night. Why, is there anything wrong in drinking the last few drops of tea out of the saucer? Oh, that wasn't so bad, but when you held the little bag over your mouth and squeezed, that was too much. Jeeves, <laughs> I, I don't need you, mind you. I don't need you to teach me manners. Well, sir, our family has been in the service of your family for the last 300 years. What about it? What about it? When are we going to get paid? <laughs> Money, money, money. That's all you commoners think about. Remember what Shakespeare said. Who steals my purse steals trash. Well, in your case, the kid had something. Jeeves, what gives you... What's... Woots gives you... What gives you the right to... <laughs> Don't go away. I'll be right back. What, uh, What gives you the right to talk that way to me? I've been your servant all my life. How true? Yes. Ever since you were a little baby, I've held you in my arms. Well, I'm a big boy now, so put me down. We've been more like father and son than servant and master. How true, how true. Why, I remember the day we had our first man-to-man talk. I was so naive. I told you about the birds and the bees. Yes, and for the next three years, I went around trying to date canaries. (laughs) Well, Jeeves, I must be popping off to see my fiancée, Lady June Bolingbroke. Oh, sir, is it true she's got the biggest dowry in Sussex? I'd rather not discuss her figure with you. I uh, have a confession to make, Master. What I, too, uh, am in love with Lady June. You're in love with Lady June? Are you, you, you commoner, you cad, you bounder, you skunk, you... You remember the butler's union? You sweet thing, I adore you. <laughs> but you are butler in love with a lady. Has she given you any encouragement? Last night she let me hold her hand, then she let me kiss her fingertips. Then she let me put my arms around her. Please don't go any further. Exactly what she said, sir. Well, as long as I am the lord of this manor, you will not be allowed to see Lady June again. In that case, sir, I am going to America. America? America. Yes. There any man can fall in love with any girl. A man can even stand on a street corner and whistle at the blondes, the brunettes, and the redheads. And every one of those American girls are so pretty, so attractive, so shapely. <laughs> Wait, I'll get my hat and go with you. Carry on! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul Whiteman speaking. Today, your Radio Hall of Fame honors the great Russian composer, Dmitry Shostakovich, and is itself honored by being privileged to introduce for the first time in this country a new song written by this musical genius. Orson Welles introduces the song in our conception of the very spirit of the song itself. I am a Norwegian, a Dane, a Pole, a Czech, a Yugoslav, a Hollander, a Chinese. I am all those to whom freedom is the breath of life and to have been denied the right to breathe. For years I've been in slavery, and yet I have not been enslaved. Millions of deaths I have died, and yet I am not dead. I would not be dead because I had a dream about a word. Though my hands have been bound, I have loosed the bonds 
so that I might sabotage their factories and shoot guns at them from my hiding place in the forest. So I might help make the dream of the word become a reality. Though my hands have been bound, that which is really me reaches out beyond where I am, seeking the word, the word that makes me endure and stay alive. They have forbidden me to do it, but I listen to the radio so that I can hear about the word, so that I can see the word. I read the underground newspaper, though they have beaten me, tortured me, and shot me for reading the underground newspaper. But I have heard, and I have read, and I know that the word is no longer just a word to you, my brothers, in France, in Belgium, in Russia, in parts of Poland and Yugoslavia and Greece. Wherever the armed might of my friends has triumphed. And soon, I'll be one with you. Free. I would not be dead. Because I had a dream about a word. Liberation.
when the New York theater critics, as polled by Variety, gave lovely Mary Martin their award as the best musical comedy actress of 1944, they undoubtedly merely echoed the judgment of you theatergoers who saw Miss Martin in her success, One Touch of Venus, produced by Crawford and Weilberg and written by S.J. Perlman and Ogden Nash, with a critics' prize-winning score by Kurt Weill. And so without further fanfare, hoopla, ballet, or build-up, here's the girl who moved Venus from Bullfinch to Broadway. A face to launch a thousand ships and a figure. Well, how big a navy do you need? Miss Mary Martin. Mary, uh, how long has your show been running? Arson, we opened October the 7th, 1943. So last night was our first birthday. And it was also on the Radio Hall of Fame a year ago, almost to this day. So you've got plenty to celebrate. (laughs) You know, Mary, I saw your show when it first opened. As I recall in the story, an art collector, White Law Savory, founder of the White Law Savory Foundation of Modern Art. And by the way, where do those musical comedy writers get the names they stick in their (laughs) shows? You wouldn't find a name like White Law Savory outside of a musical comedy. You shouldn't find a name like Orson Welles outside one either. Uh, Anyway, Savory has sent two detectives to the far corners of the world to secure for him a certain statue of Venus. Now, Savory's barber, Rodney Hatch, while alone in the gallery with a statue, flips his girl's engagement ring on Venus's finger. There is a crescendo of music. And the statue of Venus comes to life in the person of Mary Martin, who considers herself engaged to Rodney, which is easy on Rodney. Later, Rodney finds himself in a hotel suite with Venus. Well, do you like this necktie any better than the one I've been wearing? <laughs> Come here, Rodney. Good gosh. Is it all right for anybody to feel as good as I do? Don't be so humble, darling. I can't help it. I keep wondering why anyone as wonderful as you would even bother with me. If you ever change, I'll leave you. Rodney, may I confess something? This ring only brought us together. It had no power to make me love you. Darling. Oh, that uh, tie is not nearly gay enough. You look so somber, like a notary public whose term is about to expire. Well, how about the yellow one? The one with the little horse's head. It's pretty keen. It's in the other room. And while you're away, remember I love you. You know the way you feel when there is autumn in the air. That's him. Mm-hmm, that's him. The way you feel when Anton has finished with your hair. That's him, mm-hmm, that's him. You know the way you feel when you smell bread baking. The way you feel when suddenly a tooth stops aching. Wonderful world, wonderful you. That's him, that's him. He is as simple as a swim in summer. Not artist, not actor. He's like a plumber when you need a plumber. Ah, he's satisfactory. You know the way you feel when you knock on wood. The way you feel when your heart is gone for good. Wonderful world. Wonderful you, that him. You could shuffle him with millions, soldiers and civilians. I'd pick him out. In the darkest caves and hallways, I would 
would know him always beyond the doubt. Identification comes easily to me because that he About a hat created just for you. That's him. You know the way you feel when the fireflies glimmer. The way you feel when overnight your hips grow slimmer. Wonderful world. Wonderful you. which will take the rest of this program and most of Drew Pearson to explain. Rodney and Venus are arrested on a fairly serious charge of murder, pointing cells. Under the impression that the prisoners are slightly wacky, a musical comedy prison psychiatrist examines Rodney and then Venus. Bring her out, please. I am the doctor. Won't you sit down? I'd like to ask you a few questions. Who were your parents? The Mediterranean. I beg your pardon? I was born of the sea foam. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, your occupation? Delightful. Delightful. Mm. You have no previous record, I suppose. Indeed, I have. As a matter of fact, it makes very fascinating reading. How old are you? Well, there's some doubt. Homer says one... The place in the proper institution. Rodney, can you hear me? Come. We're getting out of here. Take away his keys. Oh, no, darling. Between you and me, I'll kill him. Speak long when you speak our summer way. You speak long like ships adrift Speak long, darling, speak long Love is a spark lost in the dark Too soon, too soon I feel wherever I go that tomorrow is near, tomorrow is here, and always too soon. Time is so old and love so brief. Love is your gold and time a Everything ends Too soon, too soon I wait Darling, I wait Will you speak low to me? Speak low to me Summer day with the way 
Not that any of these interesting facts specifically qualify him for your Radio Hall of Fame. No, Burl Ives is here because so many of you have come to recognize in him one of the most gifted and authentic of our contemporary Americans. Carl Sandburg, who more than anybody ought to know, called Burl Ives the mightiest ballad singer of any century. Ballads, Burl Ives tells us, the real folk ballads, aren't songs written to sell. They're intended to say, in a real way, the real thing. A folk ballad is the people talking to the people. That's what Burl Ives says, and when he sings, he proves it. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you the warmest and purest performer since Burt Williams, one of the great singers of our times, Burl Ives. I really know a couple hundred anyway, and I'd like to sing one now called 
Get out of the way for old Dan Tucker. Hey, get out of the way for old Dan Tucker. Too late to get his supper. Supper's over, dinner's cooking. Old Dan Tucker just stand there looking. I went to town the other night to hear a noise and see a fight. All the people was a jumping around said, Old Dan Tucker's a coming to town. Hey, get out of the way for old Dan Tucker. Too late to get his supper. Supper's over, dinner's cooking. Old Dan Tucker just stand there looking. Old Dan Tucker comes to town, riding a billy goat, leading a hound. Hound barking, the billy goat jumping, throw Dan Tucker out to start with some. Take it out of the way for old Dan Tucker. Too late to get his supper. Supper's over, dinner's cooking. Old Dan Tucker just stand there looking. Old Dan Tucker, he got drunk. Jumped in a fire and he kicked out a hunk and he got a live coal in his shoe. Holy God, him out of how the ashes blew. Hey, get out of the way for old Dan Tucker. Too late to get his supper. Supper's over, dinner's cooking. Old Dan Tucker just stand there looking. Old Dan Tucker's fine old man Washed his face in a frying pan Combed his hair in a wagon wheel Run away with his toothache in his seal Hey, get out of the way for old Dan Tucker Too late to get his supper Supper's over, dinner's cooking Old Dan Tucker just stand there looking Pearl, that old Dan Tucker really had me hopping up and down. Well, that's the kind of a song that makes you hop because it's a sort of an old fiddle tune you used to do square dances to. Hmm. Well, we're not going to let you get away without giving us another sample of the art that made Burl Ives the mightiest ballad singer of our century. How about it? Thank you very much. I'll sing another one. It's a favorite of mine. It's an old minstrel song that was loved by a mighty man who is in the all-time Hall of Fame, Abraham Lincoln. The song is The Blue-Tailed Fly. When I was young, I used to wait on the boss and give him his plate and pass the bottle when he got dry and brush away the blue-tailed fly. Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. My master's gone away. And when he'd ride in the afternoon, I'd follow after the pony. When bitten by Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. My master's gone away. One day he ride around the farm. The flies so numerous, they did swarm. One chance to bite him on the thigh. The devil take the blue-tailed fly. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. My master's gone away. The pony run, he jumped, he pitch. He threw my master in the ditch. He died and the jury... Wondered why the verdict was the blue-tailed fly. Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care. Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care. Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care. My master's gone away. They lay him under a simmon tree. His epitaph is there to see. Beneath this stone I'm forced to lie. Of a blue-tailed fly Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care My 
master's gone away. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Theater Guild signed him to appear in their new musical, Sing Out Sweet Land, Lucky Theater Guild. Oh, Mary Martin. Yes, Arkin. Before you leave, Mary, I'd like, please, among other things, to tell you you're truly a wonderful singer. Thank you, Arkin, and you're truly a great actor. And besides being a wonderful singer, you're a real actress. And, Arkin, besides being a great actor, you're a top-notch director. And I understand you can dance beautifully, too. <laughs> I hear you're a magician. <laughs> I can spell cellutan backwards. <laughs> the ma- Mary, Mary Martin, may I, may I talk to you a minute, Mary? Will you come a little closer, please? Closer, honey, please. Milton, what are you doing? I'm shortening my line of communication. <laughs> you know, Mary, I, uh... I don't know if I should say this. I, uh... I like your work very much. <laughs> and I like your work, too. But why do you insist on putting your arm around me and getting me so much closer? Well, no, one, no one's going to freeze me in my job. You know, Mary... <laughs> after... Oh, that hat is beautiful, isn't it? Mary, after, after the broadcast, I... I don't know if I should ask you. I would like to take you home in style like I take every girl. Wonderful, Milton. Wonderful. Limousine, sports roadster. <laughs> clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Don't pay any attention to Milton. I'll take you out. I'll show you New York. I'll show you New York, too. I'll introduce you to all my friends. So what? I'll introduce you to all my friends. I'll buy you an expensive dinner. You just love my friends. <laughs> Why don't you uh, two boys take each other home? Well, what about you? <laughs> Me? I'll walk alone. I'll walk alone. That's very good. Now, there's about the corniest music cue I have ever heard. <laughs> I'm going right out and sell that to Spike Jones. Which clears the stage for Mary Martin, who will now sing I'll Walk Along, or rather, I'll Walk Alone. According to Variety, I'll Walk Alone is the hit of the week, and also not long ago, Miss Martin made a recording of this winsome ditty, a platter which has so far sold 150,000 copies and is pretty fairly along the way to hitting the jackpot. It's only logical, then, that Mary Martin and Paul Whiteman's orchestra should pool their powers, no mean parley, I assure you, in the interest of the hit song of the week, I'll Walk Alone. Because to tell you the truth, I'll be lonely. I don't mind being lonely when my heart tells me you are lonely too. I'll walk alone. They'll ask me why, and I'll tell them I'd rather. There are dreams I must I'll always be near you wherever you are each night. In every prayer, if you call, I'll hear you. No matter how far, just close your eyes and I'll be there. Please walk alone and send your love and your kisses 
to guide me Till you're walking beside me I'll walk alone I'll walk alone Because to tell you the truth I'll be lonely I don't mind being lonely When my heart tells me I'd like to say. The names of our soldiers, sailors, marines, coast guardsmen, and merchant seamen are written large in the annals of American valor. And places like Salerno and Anzio and San Lo and Bougainville and Guadalcanal are just a few, a very few, of the places which are permanent monuments to the heroism of America's fighting men. But Americans recognize courage, the right kind of courage, the kind that fights the good fight anywhere. And so today I ask you to join with me in paying tribute to as gallant a crew of men as ever fought and bled and died. Men of our allies, the 1st British Airborne Division, which, attempting to outflank the Siegfried Line, battled so fiercely for eight full days at Arnhem, Holland. When they were ordered to retreat, you know, only 2,000 of the original eight or 9,000 were able to withdraw. A correspondent with them wrote, If in years to come, any man says to you, I fought with the Arnhem Airborne Force, take off your hat to him, buy him a drink. For his is the stuff of which Britain's greatness is made. It's hard to die when you're fighting in a cause that's doomed. It's even harder to die when so many of those men died. 
with the smell of victory in the air. When peace seemed near, thoughts of home and loved ones beckoned. Their sacrifice was not in vain. By standing firm as they did for as long as they did, they made possible the holding of an important, a vitally important bridgehead to the south of them. They couldn't keep the ground onto which they'd been dropped from the skies. But they helped with their blood to buy that ground for others. I think the spirit of the men who fell at Arnhem was breathed into poetry by a soldier, Rupert Brooke, who himself died in the war that was fought to make this war impossible. And he wrote, If I should die, think only this of me. But there's some corner of a foreign field that is forever England. There shall be in that rich earth a richer dust concealed. A dust whom England bore, shaped, made aware, gave once her flowers to love, her ways to roam. A body of England's breathing English air, washed by the rivers, blessed by sons of home. And think this heart, all evil washed away, a pulse in the eternal mind, no less, gives somewhere back the thoughts by England given, her sights and sounds, dreams happy as her day, and laughter learnt of friends, and gentleness in hearts at peace under an English heaven. Now, thank you and good day. This is Orson Welles locking up your Radio Hall of Fame for this week and turning over the key to Glenn Riggs for Philco. The Radio Hall of Fame comes to you each Sunday at this time in the name of Philco dealers and distributors throughout the United States and Canada from Philco Corporation, makers today of radar and electronic materials to help win the war, makers tomorrow of products for good living in a world at peace. As you look forward to your new radio, your new phonograph, your new refrigerator after victory, look to Philco again for leadership in engineering, for the newest developments of modern electronic science, for the manufacturing tradition that has made Philco famous for quality the world over. Appearing on today's Radio Hall of Fame were Milton Burrell through courtesy of Eversharp, Mary Martin through courtesy of Texaco, Burl Ives, Jimmy Carroll, and the Hall of Fame Orchestra and Male Chorus led by Paul Whiteman. Our guest master of ceremonies was Orson Welles. Next week, the Philco Corporation, which brings you the stars made great by your recognition of their achievements, will present another great Radio Hall of Fame show headed by Amos and Andy. This is Glenn Riggs saying so long until next week when we invite you to spend another pleasant hour with us visiting your Radio Hall of Fame. This is the Blue Network. That's it for this time. I'll be back soon with more classic radio featuring Orson Welles. Between now and then, you can find past episodes of this show, more old-time radio, and everything Relic Radio at relicradio.com. 
It's also in LinkedIn or Donate if you'd like to help support this and all the shows. It's how this is all made possible. It's how it all keeps going. Thanks to those who have donated. Thanks for joining me today. Talk to you again soon with another episode of Orson Welles on the Air. Orson Welles on the Air is produced by InforRelicRadio.com. Rebroadcast of this show without permission is strictly prohibited.